The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 15th chapter. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The Gospel of the Lord. My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're now in the second week of a three-week little mini-series around the theme of invitation. Uh, which is a reminder to us that as a church, as a congregation, we're always uh, being called by God to think about the people outside of our four walls and uh, invite them in. Last week, we started this little mini-series by talking about some of the good that we accomplish here in the name of Jesus. Uh, This week, I want to spend some time thinking with you and reflecting about the truth that we share here. I know not all of you can see this, but to my left, to your right, there's a poster. This poster hangs in my office, and as I was thinking about the trajectory of this uh, three-week series of messages, it struck me that it might be a helpful sort of visual shorthand in a way of what I'm talking about. Um, What the poster says, it's a quote that says, if you look after goodness and truth, beauty will take care of itself. And in a similar way, what I'd like to suggest is that when we are aware of the goodness that we accomplish here, and when we understand the truth that we share, then invitation, to some degree at least, takes care of itself. And I want to repeat very clearly something I said last week. When we talk about invitation in the church, we are absolutely never, ever talking about pressure or about arm-twisting. Uh, what I, and, and the reason we're focusing on goodness and truth as sort of the way into invitation is because I believe that when we understand, again, what we accomplish here and the truth of what we share, then I think we have a, a certain quiet confidence that allows us in, in natural and organic ways to make invitations at the appropriate time, all right? So today, what I want to do is I want to I tell a short story that sort of anecdotally reminds us of why reflecting on the truth of what we believe and, and understanding in some ways uh, how certain ways of thinking are not consonant with the truth of Christianity. So I want to share a story. And then I want to do a little thought experiment uh, to try to expand what I believe is an overly narrow or shallow uh, or inadequate conception of truth that we have in our culture, Okay. So first, the story. 
A few years ago, some of you may remember that we did a a sermon series during the five weeks of Lent around uh, faith and doubt. Does anyone remember remember that? Two of you. Great. Okay. (laughs) I thought it was pretty good, actually. Um, I'm not going to rehearse everything we covered in that five weeks, obviously. Those were on our Wednesday night services. But I want to lift up one thing that we absolutely lifted up in that five-week series on doubt and faith, and that was that this. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Certainty is the opposite of faith, which is a way of saying faith is always going to include certain doubts, and it's going to include questions, and that's okay. We don't need to be afraid of those questions or those doubts. Uh, They're part of faith. God can handle it. After that series was over, one of our members uh, went to a conference, uh, I have permission to share this story by the way, and uh, ended up sitting in the plane next to a woman who was going to the same conference. And they started visiting and chatting, and it became clear that this other woman was distraught. Why? She was distraught because her boyfriend at the time, uh, in the opinion of the girlfriend, the woman in the plane, didn't have enough certainty about his faith. He wasn't being like antagonistic about it. He wasn't, uh, you know, becoming an uh, aggressive atheist. He was just being honest with his girlfriend. I've got some questions. I have some doubts. And she was concerned enough about that that she was planning to break up with him. And she was, you know, feeling really bad about it. At which point, the member of our church lovingly and caringly said the following. Has it ever occurred to you that doubt is not the opposite of faith, but that certainty is? And this woman on the plane immediately understood that what she had just heard was true. It was like a light went off in her head. The, the burdens of the, of the world were lifted from her shoulders. And far from going back to her boyfriend and breaking up, she went back. Uh, we know this because uh, the member of St. Philip has seen her in subsequent conferences. And the couple got married and has children. So I want to, again, remind you that the way we think about our faith is important not only for ourselves, but also for our ability to share it with others. And it strikes me that there are some kids running around in the world who are here because of a series we did at St. Philip the Deacon on faith (laughs) and doubt, which means we should all be like honorary godparents or, or something. All right. So that's the story, the thought experiment. Um... And I want to start by saying this. People of faith, we're at a disadvantage in our culture because for a variety of reasons, and this is a culturally bound belief, we have come to believe that truth is the same as facts. That truth is equivalent to things that can be proven or that truth is equivalent to things that can be empirically verified. Now, I want to be very clear about this. The church has no problem with facts or with proofs or with things that can be empirically verified. We believe that God made the world and we believe God God gave us brains to study the world. We just think that truth is more expansive, uh, deeper, richer than simply facts. And I will tell you, one of the great ironies of the statement that truth is only things that can be empirically verified or proven is that, guess what? You cannot prove that statement. You can't. You can't put the statement, truth is only things that can be proven, into a test tube to confirm it. You know what that statement is? It's a faith commitment. It is a posture towards the world. 
And I think it's overly limited and narrow and shallow. Truth, again, I want to suggest is bigger. So thus, this thought experiment that hopefully at least helps us to expand our understanding of truth at least a little bit. So I want you to imagine a young couple. They're at the beginning of their relationship. Maybe some friends have just introduced them to one another. And what do they share with one another at the beginning of their relationship? They share facts about each other. This is where I grew up. This is my family. This is my favorite color. This is the food I like to eat. This is the kind of car I drive. This is where I work. And again, facts are great. They're important for them to share those kinds of things, right? At some point in the relationship, though, maybe over a meal and a glass of wine, they're going to start to share other types of information. For example, maybe they will start disclosing some of their hopes and dreams. Maybe they will be a little vulnerable and share some of their fears, or maybe one of them will say to the other one, I love you. Now at that point, is the appropriate response for the person who hears that to say, oh really? Prove it! <laughs> Thank you for laughing. <laughs> if you are in the dating scene, I'm going to suggest that is not the appropriate response. What's the response going to be? The person is going to sit and think and reflect on what do I know about this person and do I feel like what they just said is trustworthy and believable and what? True. And if they do, then the relationship will deepen. Now, importantly, I want to make this very clear. Does the fact that they've now entered into this deeper part of the relationship mean that the facts that were shared earlier are like unimportant or insignificant or they go away or that the love trumps the facts? No. The facts are still in operation. They're still a significant part of their relationship. It's just that the relationship, the truth of the relationship has expanded beyond them. And I want to suggest today that what we talk about here is very similar. It's analogous to that. There are certainly facts to our faith. We will confess some of those in the Apostles' Creed later. But I want to suggest that what we do here in terms of our faith is bigger than simply those facts. We come here not simply to hear about an equation, but rather to have an encounter. Not just to receive a formula, but to develop a friendship. Not to hear a proof, but to meet a person. When Jesus comes, he doesn't say, I've got the answer for you. What does he say? I've come to give you myself. He comes to remind us that I, Jesus, am the way and the truth and the life. And we come here to hear again and again, as we did in this gospel today, of a God who is always reaching out to us, extending God's hand, welcoming us back, finding us when we're lost, walking with us, and yes, saying to us, I love you. The response to that kind of statement, that invitation, cannot be, oh really? Prove it. Instead, the response is to say, okay, based on everything else I know about this God, do I sense that that invitation is believable and trustworthy and what? True. And if we think it is, then we have the amazing, amazing privilege to respond to that invitation with our lives. And just as important, we have the amazing opportunity to invite others to experience that love through invitations to them. We'll talk more about that next week. In the meantime, will you join me in a word of prayer?
good and loving God, we thank you as always for drawing us to yourself and reminding us that we are your beloved children. We pray today that you will open our hearts and minds to receive that love and also that you will give us the confidence to go back out into the world and share it with others. And all this we pray in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.